Hello and welcome to Social Patter. This is brought to you by the Patter Podcast. My name's Sean. I was joined by Luke and Ewan um, to talk about the Scottish drug-related death issue and generally the Scottish drug addiction issue. Um, This has been plaguing our country since the late 70s and the number keeps going up. Uh, Another 6% rise um, in 2019. So we asked the questions of how we got here and what our social, what we look like in society and our communities that are dealing with the issue and our social issues that just aren't working. Um, So yeah, I hope you listen and enjoy. Thank you. 2020 has been a year that's affected everyone in the whole world and everyone's talked about the one thing that's COVID, it's lockdown, it's virus spreading um, and deaths. But in December of 2020, the statistic was released in Scotland that is released every year that gives a ugly truth about life in Scotland and the epidemic that everyone kind of ignores or wants to forget because it's embarrassing, it's uncomfortable, and no one really knows what it is or why it's so massive and life-changing. And that is the the drug deaths in Scotland. In December 2020, it was announced that a 6% rise from the following year to 1,264 deaths by drug use, or drug-related deaths in Scotland, which is a 6% rise from 2018 and double the number in 2014. I think the place to start is probably how did we get here to be per capita the by far the most deaths in Europe and most countries in the world per capita don't have our deaths. How did we get here and... Where did it come from? I, 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 when I was reading the, the stats about it, one of the theories that came to me that I need to look into more is the idea that the two-thirds of those who died were 35 to 54. So these are people that maybe got 20 to 39 years of addiction, say starting at 14, 15. When working in the south side in places like Castle Milk, in the 80s, people will tell you Castle Milk just became flooded with heroin. Mm-hmm. And at the age when we were maybe smoking weed or ecstasy started to make an appearance, people in Castle Milk were using opiates and heroin, and older the older generation was introducing the younger generation instead of to cannabis and ecstasy, maybe to, to heroin and opiates. So it may be, this isn't answering why the people took up using that, but some of the deaths that we're seeing at the moment might be the knock-on from the 80s for the first generation and second generation drug users dying and that might be if we're talking about 30 what well, i can't remember 35 to 54 it may well be that that's something that we see increase as these people get older that that first and second generation of 80s um and and their their children's heroin and opiate users so we reckon the people who have died have been these like long-term users the people who have been like uh I think that would definitely be contributing to the number. Yeah, we'd have thought definitely. The drug deaths, it's people from a a broad cross-section of society, or is it people that have just been hammered by, like, unemployment, poverty, 
you know, these it's issues. De- it's, de- it's definitely, um, it's definitely the poverty, the lower class. I mean, the the, yeah. the idea is that it was rooted from the deindustrialization of Glasgow and Scotland as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, also affected, you know, the kind of um, North England, the kind of Thatcher era closing down factories and, mm. and that obviously made un- unemployment I think between uh, 78 and 81 uh, went up by something like 15% in Scotland um, and there's definitely a, a link to that because that's when the that's when the, the drug uh, use and mm-hmm, drug mm-hmm. deaths went up um, so I mean it's definitely an impoverished area so I, I suppose it's a case of why why do people in in poverty or people that are unemployed why why do they turn to drugs i mean that's is it as simple as there's nothing else to do and it's, yeah it's 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 definitely a problem that's not pe- taking place predominantly in wealthy areas like the people talk about drug use increasing the feeling of isolation being outside of society but from talking to people and meeting people i think a lot of people already had that isolation going on the drug use maybe exacerbated it but they were already people that felt isolated and on the outside of society for, I'm talking about people here that have, that have got that, you know, 20 to 40 years of, of drug abuse experience. Yeah, I mean, like from that time, 79 to the early 80s, you're thinking, well, if people lose like industries or they lose like these employment opportunities that were like there for the people that came before them, there's what's been like the circuit, the circuit breaker. I mean, I have the wrong phrase to use at the current time. But like what's been like the the break from then until now is maybe a pretty sorry history. I think this is like one of the big topics that's going to come out here in this discussion is that other countries in Europe have left Scotland in the dust. Like other countries have benefited from being in Europe, no doubt. But like from Eastern Europe, where they had drug problems, Western Europe, these countries are now looking pretty good now. And Scotland is the one that's like has just been left behind. In Scotland, what is the what is infrastructure? What is the the case? So for obviously for me, like I have experience with uh, the criminal side of uh, drug offenders and drug users, um, and in terms of being in custody, the support is there, but the support isn't. It's easy when you're in an environment that there's again there's nothing else to do. You can create a. In a, in a prison, you can create a, a routine for someone who, if they want to engage, can engage. And it's, it's easy because they, they have a routine every day and it's a simplified life, if you will. Um, and it's easier to focus if they want to engage. It's easier to engage. They've got people on hand every day who have some form of experience of helping. But you're also surrounded with other addicts in a confined area where it's profitable to uh, sell drugs in prison environment as well but in terms of the if we if we look at someone who wants to engage and is engaging how when someone's not in custody and not have the kind of simplified regime how does it look on the outside if someone was in a, a rehabilitation program first point i had is kind of councils and governments can't have it both ways so they they can talk about this number inflating all the time but for example, things like in, in 2017, the biggest needle exchange in Glasgow closed down, um, which was the building was owned by Network Rail. It was inside Glasgow Central at the Boots Chemist there. And after a year of being open, um, they were quite unhappy that drug paraphernalia had been found in open spaces. One person had overdosed at the site. 
and uh, Network Rail shut it down. And and it was quite, that was, from what I've read, a lot of these needle exchanges are funded by charity, pretty much. And the Scottish government were very slow to try and put anything in place. They now have vans that go around the city um, to hand out fresh equipment and take in dirty needles. But it's, yeah, and so, if, and also if it's a, if it's a health problem, if it wants to be categorised as a health problem, the benefit system needs to recognise it, which it doesn't at the moment. A lot of people who are looking to get into recovery have a hard time of balancing that with financial needs. Yeah, so completely underfunded avenues at the moment, like the the sort of real jewel that's come out in, in recovery at the moment, in this kind of cardboard crown of recovery, is that ex-addicts are starting to create amazing resources in their communities um, and and finding funding for themselves which again speaks to the government and the council's lack of of input there well just in, in, a, in a kind of charity based like yeah raising yeah. money and awareness yeah raising money awareness um and again in, in, in that walk of life <clears throat> in this walk of life the money still speaks for the idea that you've got primary care so someone with a, an addiction needs to go through um a detox so someone in, in Castle Milk might go for a detox at the crisis centre in Glasgow and they'll be given three weeks and they'll get the, the substance out of their system. But then they come back into society and there's no, there's an underfunding of secondary care for them there to, to take care of the recovery aspect. Um, but money speaks so that you could go to the Priory or, or several different places where you're not given three weeks and kicked out you're given a lot longer time to to learn about the addiction and to to make sure you're going to get back onto your feet. And and that again, that and that is the root is a case of how how do the government find ways to fund properly? Because no matter you know, how good services are, the the more funding is put forward to and they, they need to they need to cut costs substantially. And and this is again, this is a not just a, a, a moral standpoint, but in the the argument of decriminalisation or legalisation, I mean, it's, it's two different two different things completely. But in going by countries who um, have decriminalised things, Portugal being the kind of most, I don't know if that's been the longest, or you know, that's why the stats have come out, or it's been the, the most changed. But without going into like facts and figures about decriminalisation, the Every every stat is improved. Like deaths have gone down, addiction's gone down, um, unemployment has gone down. Everything goes down by it. But I think in terms of government and finances, if you aren't putting people in prison for um, drug offences, you are instantly saving money. And as long as they can put that money from the justice um, system into, again, it's not just as you said, it's not just a health issue it's a social issue you know it's it's, it's not it doesn't it's not one size fit all for every person um but in terms of money the money they would save through decriminalizing drugs and saving people going through the courts or going to prison entirely should be enough i mean in portugal they made they've now got the minimum uh, living wage or the minimum wage i think it's i think i read it, it worked about 800 pounds i mean people are, are benefiting scotland that's you know doesn't even touch that you know if you're just a standard if you've not got any other benefits apart from mm-hmm. just not being able to work and as you say if if we can save money and give people the finances and also improve the service they're getting 
while them not having to worry about money because again people in these environments will not just be taking drugs they'll be selling drugs because if that's that's how they, that's how they get their income it's usually selling also selling their bodies man it's like the the vicious cycle involved in being an addict it sounds pretty fucking horrendous um but i was just like just chip in you can see how the argument like splits in two there's a reactive responses like clinics to help people needle exchanges whatever they're the reactions but then you have to go back to the root why are people becoming addicts to begin with and to use the example of like portugal when they brought in decriminalization they also expanded their welfare state so like people like what was the uh, the quote uh, from the article it was there is essentially no relationship between the punitiveness of a country's drug laws and its rates of drug use. Instead, drug use, tend, drug use tends to rise and fall in line with broader cultural, social, or economic trends. So it's like you could, if you decriminalize drugs, people don't just suddenly flock out and start using them. Or if you have really harsh drug laws, that doesn't mean people stop using them either. It really depends on your kind of economic standing at the time, your social standing, everything like that. Like you said, it's like multifaceted. The thing about like the reactive responses are like that should just exist in Scotland. Like the needle exchanges, that support for addicts. Yeah, that should exist. But like the real big, the kind of meat of the argument is in having a social system. That means people aren't like fucking miserable and taking smack. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and the, and the argument that's coming out at the moment is is based around a thing called ACEs. That that seems to be taking uh, or, or getting a lot of kind of publicity at the moment. A ACEs is, stands for um, adverse childhood experiences. So Gabor Mate's quite a big proponent of that, who's, who talks a lot about addiction, and he talks about not asking why the addiction, but asking why the pain because it comes from a place of human pain. Mm -hmm. His point is, is that it's a wider societal problem. And, and if you want to tackle the cause and not maintain the addiction safely or, or, con or contain the addiction, you, like you're saying, look, there's, there's something else that needs to be tackled there. We live in a society that promotes addiction. We live in a... Uh, this is the, kind of the, some of the, the limited research I did was the link looking at consumerism and drug addiction. You live in a society that kind of urges you to be addicted or to kind of, what was like the, the thing I looked up on? It was like uh, the ideal consumer is somebody who gets an addiction, whether that's for a brand or a particular product. Your product that you buy might be really linked to your identity. So, I mean, yeah. Like you go out and you take the drug. That's kind of that's what you do in a, in a sense. You don't have any other. You don't have nothing else. And, and and that's and if when you're talking about Portugal and and Switzerland's another place I've heard of that uh, with decriminalisation, sort of safe medically supervised areas to take these drugs. We know. I, I saw an example of someone from I think it was County Durham that, that was involved in the the law system, and he came in and he said, "This is amazing. These people don't have any." There, there has been no overdoses there here, but that's not that's very predictable. If you give people a safe space to go and use drugs that's medically supervised, no one's going to overdose. They'll be in the lock zone on the on the, in the the place that if someone does overdose, you bring them back. And it's not that. It's what's going on in Portugal and Switzerland needs to be looked at 
in a, a wider way. There's that clear humanitarian thing that we're saving lives, and that and that is important. But what's the outcome of, of long-term recovery from that? Is is there interventions in place where people are being um, given a, a way out of their their addicted life? Because it, it's so, easy it's easy to predict that if we they need to, yeah, yeah. Cases, overdoses will, will stop uh, with people that use within that safe space. I mean, the SNP are obviously they're behind it. They you know they're trying to do reform for. Um, decriminalisation. It's been uh, in December again, or the start of January, it was Westminster that knocked back the safe spaces for people to use. And their point was, again, again, it's you know, it's an illegal drug. We don't want to encourage any form, even if it is safe. We don't want to encourage any form. And that gets onto the point of we still got the idea of this war on drugs, this stigma, and this. It's bad, you know, let's lock these people away and no one, like, again, it's ignoring the issue instead of making it a public, social, economical issue. So if it was passed in Scotland, what things would be in place? So from what I picked up in Portugal, if someone was, you know, found to be um, in possession and instead of going through the legal system and the courts, um, they could, they can still get fines, but nine times out of ten, they're not, they're not given their fines. And they are put into a... Uh, a social service of, of rehabilitation um, and, and, and that's what it is I think it's even voluntary in um, Portugal it's, 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 if they don't mm-hmm. want to go they still don't have to go they're not again they're not forcing them to go um, but it's you know instead of being fined you will be you know given um, more access to help or for help we need to turn them into socially acceptable addicts. We need to turn them onto shopping and video games <laughs> and alcohol and television. <laughs> Choose life. Choose, Choose life. life. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that sort of idea of even the idea of maintaining an addiction. Um, so in these safe spaces, if people don't want to voluntarily take pl- take part in a recovery program. When I talk to ex-addicts in Glasgow, kind of outside of work, and I'll say about knowing people that passed away from drugs when they were young, and being always finding it quite a horrible thing when people say people need to be ready for addiction, because when someone close to you passes away or someone you know and passes away from addiction, you think, how can we do something to make them ready for addiction, to kind of wrestle them out of addiction? But it seems that people don't get wrestled out of addiction that often. People walk away from addiction, and and by maintaining their 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 life while they're while they're going through that addiction, you might give them the the chance to get to a point where they walk away from it um, mm. and and have that recovery infrastructure there for them. But that's yeah, that might be quite an uncomfortable idea for for many people in Scotland. I can see I can see that being the case. I kind of I live inside a sort of bubble where. That sort of drug use is normalised just through work and exactly. I, I, like... I, see, I see it every day. Like I, I yeah. see some form of drug use on a daily basis, um, and for me, it's just so normalised. You know, I can talk about it, and you know, it's, it, I don't see it as a as a stigma anymore. I don't see it as a kind of hidden away thing. Um, and I, like these, the idea of that if someone. Um, Especially, obviously, in terms of talking about deaths, it's it's heroin and smack that's the it's the main killer, I suppose, of overdosing wise. And mm-hmm. if there's somewhere for people to go that, as you say, will reduce that, at least it's identifying the people. I think that I seen a stat that Scotland had sixty thousand um, addicts, but it's going to be so much more than that because these are only people 
they have on record. I mean, imagine mm-hmm. the people that, that you know haven't haven't put themselves forward, don't know who to speak to. You know, if there was a place that would at least get somebody, you know, something new comes to the door to use in a safe space, safe space, mm-hmm. that's somebody else that we now recognise that we can even try and help. But again. Yeah, it's, even it's, the most basic sense is like you're creating a bond with somebody who might not yeah, have had yeah. like very many safe, comfortable bonds for a very long time, if ever. You know? all, all, all people, all people that I've dealt with who have been addicts, no one wants to be an addict. Like no one wants to be that addict. Like mm-hmm. they, they, they enjoy the the drug because they've got nothing else to do. It wastes time. You know, it makes them feel good for a short space, but in terms of the addiction, that's they don't. No one wants that. And if um, they can feel, if they can feel comfortable in a place where, you know, they'll maybe still get that. By this time, they may get a little bit of help. They'll they'll get someone there, maybe speak to them for fifteen minutes about, you know, what what else are you doing today? What have you done this morning? Uh, or you couldn't get your shopping. You couldn't, you know, you, you didn't do your washing. I can help you with that. I know someone that can help you with that. Just those little interactions could be the circuit breaker in that one person's life mm-hmm. um, and stop the kind of hidden away, going underground, going to crack dens or, or you know, it could be as simple as that. And yeah, and I, I don't know if I can, because of that idea of it being quite normalised through, through, through work and things, I don't know how much insight I could give on how the population at large would feel about that sort of thing. But it's, I, looking into Switzerland, you're talking about the equivalent of about fifteen thousand person per per year would would go into maybe a, a sort of safe space, and maybe people need to be convinced that that's worthwhile. Maybe there would be uproar about that idea of hmm. money, and, and maybe there is ways to show it's worthwhile by showing the the reduction in costs that costs elsewhere in, in healthcare and and things like that. Yeah, I mean, like, when was the last time you ran into somebody who, who had like a really conservative, maybe kind of really nasty view on a like the drug issue? Like, I mean, I can remember the last time I was working with a guy from Greece, and he was just like, people who take drugs are just scum. Like, wouldn't wouldn't help them at all. Like, it's almost like it's their decision. They've dropped themselves in the shit. Like, wouldn't help them at all. I think I can remember that because it's like it's a. Uh, it's almost like jarring to hear you're like what like I've not heard someone say that in like 10 years like I would have thought that maybe attitudes have uh, have changed but I don't know how to even gauge that like maybe at the moment when things are very strange the idea of a uh, it goes back to the idea of maybe somebody getting a free government handout and there they are like the undeserving poor <laughs> like the, the deserving poor something like that yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, no that- doubt those no doubt those ideas do still like knock them about but i think it's getting weirder and weirder to hear them like i think especially the younger generation are more wise to that they don't look at like i mean you've got to be a particular nasty type of person to punch down on drug addicts you know what i mean yeah and people people it's quite strange even though it happens in a microcosm when i see it quite often you might meet people that come into addiction services for alcohol use and they've got very out or not outspoken so much but they've got very rigid views on on drug addicts and they see themselves Mm. as apart from that they see themselves as i might be an alcoholic but i'm not a i'm not a drug addict yeah you see that you see that change over time though and you you meet a lot of people that say when i came into this service i thought drug addicts were the scum of the earth i was an alcohol i was an alcoholic i I never touched drugs but i i've come around to realize that it's 
an addiction just like mine and you still go through that contact and and not through the walking around with blinders on they come to see people as human beings and and recognize that they they're deserving of help they're deserving of being treated like a human being i think the attitude really ties in with the 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 link between the drugs and consumerism because the drugs have like an identity yeah i mean one of the quotes i came about okay i found was a via a counter put a link somewhere for that it's um it says tam stewart a former heroin addict from merseyside wrote of her experience with drug use in her book the heroin users she details the search for an anchor to which people could attach themselves in an era of social and economic turmoil quite what we bought i'm not sure rebellion danger excitement a wild reputation, some strange distinction as a bad lot, the Billy the Kid syndrome. We wanted something and we got it. She described smack as the inner city homeopathy, the ultimate self-medication, the finest antidote to stress, violence and ambition. So that was really interesting. That's like an ex-heroin addict wrote that. And you're kind of like, it paints a picture of a... A, a desolate inner city without job opportunities when you can disappear into a back alley, take this incredibly powerful like painkiller <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, the Billy the Kid syndrome, I thought was quite a, a good way Absolutely. to put it. You know, it's like you're escaping reality. You can now be an outlaw. You don't, like your That's ambition to maybe, sorry, your ambition to maybe get out and get a job or whatever that even means to have a career, a family, that can just fade away. You can just, you can be Billy the Kid. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's escapism from wherever they are. I mean, I'd have to look it up again. But uh, sorry, uh, in, in Holyrood, I think Scottish Labour brought forward a motion that like we should look at the root causes of drug addiction, and the SNP just shot it down. Yeah. Like an idea of kind of maybe like lifting the lid on society and doing a deep dive into social issues. Maybe the SNP are not are not that keen on doing that. The the actual drug deaths are such a complicated thing. Like the over half the deaths are heroin, uh, or opiates, or, or morphine related. Forty four percent are methadone related. So uh, a a system of of addiction relief that's actually put out by the government is being uh, and maybe not in all cases people are being prescribed that there and that, yeah i mean and that's 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 because the majority of people in methadone are under prescribed because it's so bad for them <laughs> like back in hell just for, like their like their insides it's so bad for them so they'll under um, prescribe them so they're always looking just for that little bit more to tide them over and that's what that's what they're still using uh, either street methadone or other opiates to kind of top themselves up Sometimes people wait days for their or weeks for their methadone prescription to come in, uh, during which time they're still using. Um, and and uh, what is it? Sixty four percent of uh, of the deaths were related to the new street volume sort of a uh, crazy amount of street volume that's been flooding the market and it's been made with God knows what. But also yeah. like pre gabalin gabapentin, and ninety four percent of all those deaths that they've they've reported for two thousand nineteen were more than one drug in people's system. It wasn't as simple as a heroin overdose. It was heroin, methadone, street yeah, value. Call it, call it a, a poly, like a poly drug habit. 
Yeah. Um, Surely decriminalisation will knock that straight out of the water. You don't need to take a cocktail of drugs if decriminalisation is there. Good point. Another uh, question, obviously, we, we knew someone recently who um, passed away from an overdose and their family, their dad specifically, was uh, campaigning um, and wrote to the um, Nicola Sturgeon. And they had, it was a slightly different take on the decriminalisation. I don't even know if it goes into the legalisation category. And it was a case of not just a safe place where you can uh, take your drugs, it's legalising the drugs that you can go and like take them like you could either purchase or be given drugs that are um, like uncut even like a not street drugs so in terms of like an opiate you could go and ha- take an opiate to get that hit in a clean environment of clean drugs that won't uh, they aren't cut with like fentanyl and things like that yeah. um, well, that's it. We, don't, we don't quite have the problem yet although there's been a few cases of of the way that the american markets heroin's been cut with fentanyl and people are mm. just dropping like flies because of that um, that's that hasn't quite come across to Scotland yet I don't, I don't know what will I don't know quite what would make that happen if it will but the, the other when when we're talking about uh, are we at the very start we're saying are these people who have had um, have had long-term addictions but when we're talking about secondary care so once people get their addiction taken care of and detox if the secondary mm. care isn't there You've got mm-hmm. the risk of relapsing and, and without these safe environments to be around. And when people, a, a lot of people who overdose on heroin, have, it's through a period of being off of it and going back to use it and not having the, the ability to withstand what they used to and overdosing mm-hmm. from that, that first occasion um, of use. And then with, without the secondary care in place there or without these safe places, I don't know how those safe places or the, the safe places to go and inject or go and use would handle that. I, I would hope they'd have some policy in place for that to stop. So, uh, yeah, so in terms of like, you know, the overdoses aren't just because they think like heroin's like cut with all sorts of things. It's more yeah. the kind of the relapsing is a, is a massive part of the, the overdose. But again, it all, goes, it all goes back to, you know, being underfunded in, in the care system and the health system to support people after their detox. That's, and that, that's surely what it's all down to. Because can you imagine... We spend sorry, our money you... on putting people in prison. Yeah, yeah. How much does it cost to keep somebody in prison for a year? Tens it's, of thousands of pounds? It's something in the 40s, I think. Yeah, yeah that's mental. 30 and 40 rings a bell. Yeah. Um, grand a year and imagine you took that money and instead of that person being in um, Berlini the, 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 yeah. the person is you know in, in an environment you could pay them you know half of that alone just in a, as a living wage and then yeah. the, other, the, other, the other 20 grand that you're going to be spending on them anyway you could put towards you know courses or education or yeah. a work program or anything you know what I mean it's so you could give them the, like enough money to buy food for the year yeah, and what we've seen in the last year and a bit is that the government is just incapable of that. Like the things that are, like it's not rocket science, <laughs> the expanding that social safety net, expanding public services. Yeah, it's like it can do people a lot of good. So you can imagine a clinic that uh, can give you a hit. So you've been an, an addict, you're clean, maybe you've got a life that could be considered settled and normal. And then when you want a hit, you get to go to this clinic. 
in every other respect, you are a normal functioning member of society. I'm kind of thinking of when Louis Theroux did that documentary on addiction in Los Angeles, and he met like a meth addicts who had like normal jobs. Like they were going to work every day. They were coming out of work. They would fucking get like, they would take meth, which I imagine got them in some state. And then like they were going to work. That's not a very like happy state of affairs, but in every respect, they were normal, normally functioning members of society, whatever that means. I mean, the idea of the, addict, is that the... Yeah, the fun- yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting at, the functional addict, yeah. I mean, in, does that represent a solution in any sense, or is that just a, an even worse, like a more meek... Uh, I mean, I think, yeah. I think that goes into, like, like everybody, has, everybody has their escape. Like, everybody has something that they can, uh, you know, like, you're the 95 or mm-hmm. your, your, your family life. Like, for me, it's probably... Like was fishing until we can't go fishing anymore, or like football. Sure. You know, like yeah. if, if somebody's get out is that you know once every couple of days they have a hit of heroin. That's what I'm getting actually. Like, is that really a bad thing? But then yeah. on the other hand, you're thinking cheaper than, it's cheaper than all the fishing stuff I bought. Surely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember the Artie Lang, the comedian, the American comedian, who's kind of. Uh, was on the Howard Stern show and, and Mad TV and things and became quite famous for his struggles with addiction. He he was in an interview and he said when he was trying all these different ways of getting off heroin, he, he ended up going to the gym and uh, his, his fitness coach said to him, Artie, addiction's all about yeah changing your perspective, blowing off steam, go running. Running is better than heroin. And Artie Lang said to him, have you tried heroin? And he said, <laughs> no, no, but... Running's better, and far better than it. And Artie Lang said, listen, I've tried heroin and I've tried running. So you go try some heroin and come back and tell me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think the, that whole notion of a healthy addiction and just finding something to kind of eat up the time, even if it's doing something you love, you love, that's a reflection of the society we live in it's like yeah you've got a a pressure to be productive a pressure to maybe to enjoy yourself maybe i don't know there's pressure to consume you know it's uh, again again it's a social a social thing is that there's not enough there's not enough options for people even people that aren't in addiction, like just there's not enough options for someone who, you know, might go to school and not do that well, and they don't know what the fuck to do. There's nothing. Mm. Like again, it may be different now. I don't know. To work in the, uh, you know, the I think these things are getting that. cut. I think these things are that's, getting yeah, cut now, like more than ever. Yeah, like community football, you know, sporting communities, you know, even just youth groups. Like are these things? Sure, these things are getting cut. And it's yeah. the only. It's the only. It's the only way to keep someone, again, working with younger offenders, you know, if you catch them young, it does work. It does work. You just need to find something for them to do. Um, Yeah, absolutely. That that safe space idea. So a a good point to make about that safe space when you're talking about um, about the the person who renews dad saying this is a place you'll go for pure uncut drugs. So we're talking about 64% of street Valium being implicated in deaths. That's going to knock that on the head completely because no one's going to be fed. The mm-hmm. weird concoction that is street value but when you're talking about is it a is it a workable formula to have members of society productive members of society who every couple of days go to one of these clinics 
maybe that's not workable because of the idea that they, uh, they're not functioning members of society, they're isolated, they're outside of society and they're that, that Billy the Kid sort of idea that you're not going to probably get that because these people that will be using the clinics maybe don't have the chances in society to... Yeah, I'm, I'm using like f- functioning member of society in the most like a rigid, like robotic way. Like, are they contributing oh, yeah. to this great British economy? Is what yeah. I mean. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Are they out there making a dollar? And until you can get that balance, maybe that idea of people who would drop in and out of those um, clinics in a not too self-destructive way isn't a yeah. possibility. Yeah, I mean, when when somebody comes up with some kind of like innovative way to tackle the drug problem in Scotland, on one hand, you're like, oh, of course, that's commendable. You're thinking about the drug crisis in Scotland, the drug death crisis in Scotland. But you're like, well, there are workable plans. I mean, I don't know if like uh, they don't have to reinvent the wheel as such. Like, uh, not to say those ideas aren't commendable and it's good to have that discussion, but you're like, well, there's also a lot of, like there's more issues at play like tackling addiction i mean i guess that that uh, that idea is spurred on because it was the idea that somebody would just take a very a very dangerous drug on a one off occasion and that would kill them it didn't really act that that whole initiative i don't think was encouraged by looking at addiction like long term addiction it was looking at the prospect of somebody who just made like a mistake made the a wrong decision and it just a mistake happened to him like, like you get a, a a particularly nasty drug and you don't know what's in it and like it yeah it kills you it's not really you know what i mean it's like that initiative about uh, getting a clean hit it was more about that than actually dealing with long-term addiction yeah yeah absolutely yeah and when, and when sean's making that point about in- intervention young really works and it does because that the the longer you let someone's life go on addiction just misery compounds misery it becomes harder to get out of it so and then you get to the point where you can meet some addicts who have ruined their body through being covered in abscesses in their legs that don't don't go away when they stop using there's something mm. that can flare up and they can deal with given mobility issues and it becomes harder and harder to say to someone why well why are you not um why why are you not intrigued or why why are you not interested in investing in a life outside of addiction because the misery is compounded misery to the point where life outside of addiction just doesn't seem possible or worthwhile for anyone who's listened to our podcast and is looking to get help with addiction or knows someone that they want to try and help with addiction um, please don't hesitate to either contact us or, more importantly, your local GP. Um, asking for help is probably the hardest part of the process um, and taking the first few steps and try and find recovery and support. Um, just to simply Google NHS addictions, you'll find lots of information. But go to your GP um, and explain whatever whatever your addiction is or whatever your issue is, and um, they'll give you help. There's also lots of charities you can speak to, such as Frank, which you can call on 0300-123-6600 or wearewithyou.org.uk, um, two charities that will help support you in any form of addiction or any mental health issues you feel you might have. Um, We'll put these on the website as well. Um, thank you.
thanks again for listening. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. Tweet us at the Part Pod or on our website, partonthewall.org. Cheers and goodbye. Hello and welcome to the Patter Podcast. I'm Jamie and in this episode I'm joined by Sean, Ewan and Luke to discuss a condition we all suffer from, chronic Scottishness. More specifically, a symptom of this lifelong affliction, miserabilism. Scottish miserabilism, not a genre per se, but a trope, a dark vein that runs through the cultural landscape of our nation. Ingrained in our collective psyche, it influences how the world views Scotland and how we perceive ourselves. Much of Scotland's cultural output is synonymous with tragic down-and-outs, bleak realism and the negative story. And we want to ask, why?